Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we are talking with Jilda Scarf. Hi, Jilda. Hi. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, Jilda, I'm excited to talk to you today. Jilda is the CEO and founder of Positive Ed, a leading global education consultancy and people development training company. She will tell us a lot more about Positive Ed and what they're up to Uh, right now and uh, what they plan to be up to in the near future. But before we get into positive ed, Jilda, it'd be great to kind of just go through a little bit about your yourself and your career today. Wow. It's going to be quite colorful, may I say. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Um, That's good. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, Right. Well, I trained as a teacher, you know, back in a a long time ago, and um, I was born in Romania during the communist times, um, and I think I had a, a, a great education. So I studied languages, and I thought that was the future at the time. You know, a way to learn more about the world, um, not knowing that the communist was going to fail. So then we can have some more freedom. So um, that was my first, and I always got. Uh, I had so much passion for education because I realized that. It, you only need one person in your life, a, a teacher, who can inspire you, who could, who could actually make you want to be something. Um, and I think we all have one of them. So um, at a time, that was really incredible a journey for me to, um, and I was very dedicated. Yeah, I, and, I, uh, I really appreciate that, Jilda, because um, just full, full disclosure, I'm, I'm married to a teacher. Um, my <laughs> father, my father uh, was a prof- it was a professor. He just recently retired, and my mm. grandfather was a professor. Oh, here and we go. So, uh, and my wife's family are all teachers. So, wow. So, uh, I am surrounded by education, and yeah. uh, so I, I, I completely understand the the appeal and the importance. It it really is important, and unfortunately, at the time when um, uh, Ceausescu, uh, you know, when the communism uh, uh, was eradicated in, uh, in Romania, I came to with a postgrad in, uh, in England and um, doing the same thing, which I wanted to do education. And somehow, because of the uh, disparity um, in teaching um, uh, licenses, in, you know, the, in comparison between England and uh, um, Romania, um, I had to retrain and I didn't have the money. So I decided to go into law. So I was 15 years uh, a lawyer um, before changing to psychology. So I said, I've been a very, a very helpful profession and partly because I always been thirsty to learn more, to discover more. So I always felt the education shouldn't stop with school, shouldn't stop Mm -hmm. with university, should go beyond that. And then the older you get, then the more you realize that you are more um, confident in uh, looking at things you really are good at. And um, I reached the point where I study a post, I did a postgrad in psychology. Then I discovered Martin Seligman in positive psychology. And I thought, wow. oh, wow, 
this is a different world. You know, not looking through that lens of deficiency and looking through the positivity side of it. I thought it was a, a, a really good way or optimistic side, I should say. I felt that it was a really um, interesting um, way to uh, approach life in general and uh, also to combine with education, which is my first passion. So this is how Positivism was born. That's amazing. So what a, what a, uh, a really interesting mix, uh, certainly coming from uh, a, a difficult time and place, uh, which is really uh, what you know, Romania at that, that period. Um, and then also then going through that path of switching to law, studying psychology as well, and then coming back right back to education. And now, now we have the, the, the launch and you've been building Positive Ed since 2014. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to at Positive Ed. Right. Well, first of all, may I just say how hard that was for me, you know, coming from a job of a nine to five job or nine to eight job where you get paid at the end of the month to start your own business. It's not the easiest thing. And, um, you know, I, that, I, 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 it's a great point that you make there. I, you know, I obviously am a entrepreneur myself. Mm -hmm. I also had a, a kind of an equally, uh, <laughs> um, uh, kind of different pathway in, in an earlier part of my life where I worked for very large companies. And I definitely always advise people that as you think about being an entrepreneur, make sure that you plan for it. You know, it's it because it's 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 not it's not a simple process, right? You have to really make sure that you have the financial elements in your personal life sorted out as much as possible, right? I mean, it's 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 not it's, just it's, having like a crazy idea and running. Oh off, yeah, right? I know. <laughs> you can't go naive into business. It's no yeah. way you can go. But I think for me, the hardest part wasn't necessarily the the, the money. It's changing um, attitudes and mindsets uh, yeah. because what I was doing at the time was quite new. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think you know when you said about being um you know not being naive and think about the financing and you know have a plan but for me it was more about believing in what i do and i think mm. that has to be for me definitely that was one of the things which really pushed me through because my husband at the time was saying oh you know uh, how long are you going to give it uh to, you know to make it a success <laughs> you know I, I was still doing a lot of work for free for almost two years it was horrendous yeah. Um, and then I said, look, you know, I've made my money when I was a lawyer, you know, I can use that for the moment, yeah. but I believe this could turn, this could turn. Yeah. And, um, and, and there's something was... in you, right? There's something in you that's just like, no, I know there's something here. I know, I know right? Yeah. Yeah. But I did put a bar and I said, if, if, you know, I gave myself after two years, another six months, if that wasn't taken off, then I will say, that's it you know, I have to rethink because, you know, unfortunately you have a family and, you, you know, yeah. you can't just be that naive to believe too, too hard without thinking about the implication. Uh, but luckily um, things have uh, changed um, and um, it changed for the better. And, you know, it took only one headmaster or principal mm -hmm. or however you call it in the States to listen, mm -hmm. really listen to what I was saying and had the intellectual courage to say, do you know what? My curriculum is full, but you know, I'm gonna give it a try. Let's see what it is. So Positive Ed was born to the from the desire of helping young people, empowering young people 
to become the best version of themselves, to become the architects of their own success. So giving them skills beyond the, the subjects in the school. And it, it has been really hard because that kind of led me to my PhD. Um, and because I wanted to measure, you know, there are so many programs out there who claim to do so many good things. Now I wanted to be seeing the hard truth. Doesn't matter if it was bad. I mm -hmm. really wanted to know what the hard truth was. And oh boy, did I just see that. <laughs> that was like, oh, I kind of knew what I was doing, but then I realized that the multifacets of the psychological side of human beings and um, how we learn, how we behave, how we act, and how much our emotions are the, uh, the <laughs> influence our decisions and the narrative we, we construct in our head. Um, mm -hmm. And with the young people, with the society we live at the moment is so much more difficult because the social comparison is out there. Um, mm. They feel very um, uh, fearful about the future because they don't know. It is an unknown quantity. Mm -hmm. Well, everything is unknown if you think about it. So normalizing these challenges, and I always talk about mental toughness instead of resilience because resilience, mm -hmm. I feel like it's more of a, um, a reactive uh, skill as mental toughness is something which you build and you, know, you learn how to navigate challenges um, without the pressure and the anxiety which builds inside all of us really. So, Do you um, see generational differences in terms of mental toughness? Yeah, you know, that's a very interesting question because yes, initially I thought it's a generation, but actually it's a societal mm. and environmental issue because it's not that we were made of stronger stock, you know, because I had to face, you know, my mom keeps telling me, oh, in my time I did this and I was- Well, so I mean, I, I was gonna I was gonna say that. I mean, there is the, the old <laughs> adage where, you know, my grandfather told my father, well, I used to walk <laughs> 10 miles. And then my father told me, well, I used to have to hike up a mountain. And, you know, I tell my kids how hard I had it. I don't know. It's almost like a natural course, I think, oh, sometimes. Yeah, it's, I think it's an evolutionary, uh, definitely is an evolutionary um, thing. But the reality is that we didn't face the same challenges they face. Um, and I look, I have got a seven-year-old son and, you know, the, you know, I'm not talking only about the social media, but the pressures they have um, in terms of achievement, those mm. kind of boxed assessments, um, you know, if you have a child who's very, very good in a classroom, but doesn't perform well in, a, in an exam, that child is going to fail. Mm. And why should he fail? You know, all these elements. And that's why um, I think rethinking or reimagining or regeneration of education is so, so important. And um, I was fortunate enough yesterday, I did a talk at uh, Harvard uh, and I was invited to speak at the education as a regenerative space. Mm -hmm. And that was absolutely amazing to see how we all on the same page. We all want transformation. We all want to equip the students with the right skill set. And as an entrepreneur, like you say, uh, mm -hmm. you know, one of the hardest thing I find is getting the right stuff, the right people. They on the paper, they're amazing. They've mm -hmm. done PhD. They are researchers. They are absolutely amazing. The moment you put them into a bit of a cooker pressure or mm -hmm. the moment you give them something which is not within the remit, they don't know what to do. Right. How can so, you do that? So how you find the right people for the for the roles and the responsibilities is 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 tricky. 
but also making sure that they have the skills to act in those moments is also critical. So, so tell me a little bit, Jill, though, um, how you help companies with that. I'd be, I mean, I, I, obviously you can't tell me anything specific, but you know, just in generalities, give, give me a sense of some of the areas that, that Positive Ed has played in um, over the last couple of years. Right. Well, you know, as I said before, change is very difficult. We all know that. As people, you know, creating a new habit is very difficult, isn't it? We were talking about gym before. <laughs> I'm still working on it um, to create a habit, you know, which is an automatic thought to do something, which is for my own goodness. Uh, but when it comes down to organization and education, you know, both of them very, very different, you know, and also very different approaches. Uh, with education, it's changing the same, the mindset of the educators, but also they are really the big obstacle with education is the fact that they have a packed curriculum and they don't know how to fit anything else and everything else becomes an add-on, which is not good because you can't create change with an add-on or a ticker box. Um, but with organization, I feel that it's the responsibilities of the leaders to know how to lead now. We don't lead the same way like we led you know, 10 years ago, even five years ago, it needs to be distributed leadership. It needs to be uh, strength-based leadership, recognizing people, um, you know, it's still a hierarchical, at the moment, obviously, it's still a very hierarchical. It has to be to a degree because somebody has to have the responsibility and accountability. But if you give the people the meaning and purpose of what they come to work, what they, why are they there for? Is it just mm -hmm. a job or is it something they have an input? Active I, listening. I, I, I love that. I mean, I, we'll tweeze through some of these topics. I mean, distributed leadership is a is a great it's a great idea. It's, it, and, and I'd just be curious if you could kind of elaborate a little bit about that, because just to, so, so that people will understand that idea. Because I, I do think we're in a moment where we have highly hierarchical structures, but we have a lot of talk about ideas like distributed leadership, right? And, mm. and, and, and it'd be curious uh, how you, how you uh, outline that for some of your customers. Well, in a distributed leadership model, leadership responsibilities and accountability are shared mm -hmm. by those with the relevant skills and expertise rather than testing with an individual and see. Now, mm -hmm. schools are very different because um, in schools, distributed leadership models should focus on developing many learning-centered leaders. And, mm -hmm. you know, we need to upskill them as well. And the ultimate aim of improving the quality of teaching and learning and pupil outcomes. Now, with organization, it's slightly, um, um, what I would say, it's a slightly different because the characteristic of it, it's constructive um, using constructive satisfaction with current best practices, the desire to take action in order to achieve those breakthrough, um, right. intentional risk-taking, failure-inspired learning, mm. outcome orientation. Um, but also all this starts and, um, uh, with knowing your own personal brand identity. I always call it that. Because knowing who you are, knowing what your strengths are, knowing how you uh, connect with people, it's a very important part. It's not anymore like, oh, I'm telling you what to do because you're under me. But how would you if, you, if you think about the person under you, to give you the best of themselves, the best knowledge, the best thing, you need to, give, you need to empower them, not disempower them. Right. So when you give people, when you make people part of the solution, 
they will give you everything you need. I'm I, absolutely I, 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 I thought that. about um, the the model. Um, I don't know if you're you're familiar with it that Tony Shea tried to roll out at Zappos. It was uh, this concept yeah. of uh, ideocracy, where mm. he essentially was trying to give almost all of the decision making up to the organization, right? And and they did some kind of extreme things like yeah. uh, they made all information about every employee public. So everyone knew everyone else's salaries. You could choose what your title was. And it was it was kind of like this end of hierarchy altogether. However, I mean, to, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, Tony Shea passed away uh, recently, mm. or you know, probably about a year ago now, a year and a half ago. But, but the the program actually failed, and it failed in in so many ways. But one of the reasons why it failed was that people really struggled with this idea of not being part of a hierarchy. Yeah. Like they, they 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 didn't know what that next level was. They it was very so kind of. I think one of your great points was being self-motivated, self-directed, mm. having a plan for yourself. That's very much harder for people than, than I think we fully realize. Oh, it is. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I don't agree with that. I mean, they, they, that's too far left for me, uh, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Um, it's, it's really because, again, people need order, you know, yeah. um, and they don't need a, a, an autocratic boss. Um, and when I talk about, you know, in my, that's the reason I always put strength-based leadership with distributed leadership, because it's about this triangle. You need to have autonomy, you need to have capacity, and you need to have accountability. Mm -hmm. And there is another element which I forgot to mention is the humility in leadership, mm. which is something which we don't do very well as people, you know, and you will see people climbing around halfway and they're all great and empathic and um, have a great deal of humility. And then something changes from middle to top, it changes. Then they become monsters. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, you will never become the master. You are never a master. You could, you always, always learn something new. And yes. when people tell about mastery, yeah. uh, it really kind of upsets me a little bit because um, you can become a bit of an expert, but I can tell you the work I do with the schools, the things I learned, right. I did not know. So this is where, and when people know that you listen, you know, you go there for, because you're an expert, but when you mm -hmm. listen, you make them part of the solution, then you see the difference. Then you see the change because they feel that they are part of a bigger picture. And this takes me exactly to the core of positive psychology, finding meaning and purpose in your life, whatever right. that is. If you find that, and if you don't lose yourself, if you don't use your characters and values along the way, that's what defines you. And I think it's very important to, to remember that we all human beings, we all need each other. At one point or another, you do. doesn't matter how far up you are there, because mm -hmm. it's a very long, very lonely place up there. Right. If you don't know how to work in, in a, you know, into to kind of embed a culture of psychological safety, where that kind of um, optimism, uh, autonomy, competencies are, are, are seen as a, a good skill. If you don't know when to upskill someone, instead to say, oh, you did this terrible. Instead to say, okay, what can I, how can I help you with this? 
what can I do to help you achieve this? You know, yeah. um, it's not about keeping all for yourself. You know, I, I think the time where a leader is there at the top and just kind of just barks orders to the bottom has right. gone. Um, people, they wake up to the idea, hold on a second. I want, I want, I want to have some meaning here. I want to be a part of it somehow. So I think yeah, that's very, no, very I, 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 I agree. I, I, this, this search for bringing meaning together with the enterprise has, uh, it, at least in the context of the U.S., has, has very much been driven by kind of the millennial generation, I would say. And they've done actually a, an excellent job, actually, in, in enforcing organizations to think more broadly about that. Um, I think that a lot of times earlier, the earlier examples of it were more either, I want to say like publicity driven mm -hmm. or, or founder driven, you know, there may, might be a personal reason that a founder had a charity or something like that, that they were associated with. But I do think that you're absolutely right, that this is kind of a groundswell of involvement and activation and companies really employees really searching for that deeper meaning and bringing mm -hmm. that together with businesses is is sometimes challenging but I, I, i'd be curious to see you know what your thoughts are that the, the companies that seem to be embracing this um, would seem to be set up really for greater success in recruiting talent i would imagine in the future i mean what are some of the other areas that they really benefit from in regards to being aware of this and, and supporting it well, um, one of the things, you know, we talk about, you know, when we talk about personal uh, organizational change and what makes a business successful, what makes an education uh, successful, what changes do we need to make? We have to remember that they are, you know, in order to flourish, people first and foremost, they have to have their psychological needs met. But drawing on empirical research and philosophy and social psychology, there are five areas of good life. And we, you know, we make choices about, and that's work. You know, because mm -hmm. it pays your bills, mm -hmm. but then you the more the more meaning and purpose you find into the work. You know, think about it. If you go and you love what you do, wouldn't you just don't feel that weight on your shoulders? You feel like, oh, we, I love what I do. Doesn't matter. I can stay another two hours uh, beyond the nine to five hours. Mm -hmm. Building positive relationships, um, interpersonal relationship, and belonging to a group, and also that meaning which is more. Uh, it's beyond this you as a person. Yeah. You've been back, you know, paying forward. But it, again, you know, that personal brand identity, which I said to you about the self uh, you're expressing yourself, your experiences, having the intellectual courage to be vulnerable. Um, obviously, the psychological effects. But here's the thing all these five things, and obviously, in the civic and political engagement, you know, where people, you know, you create a world with others, and people always say, well, it's the system which is broken. Right. But you know what? You don't always have to come from the top. You can come from the bottom and the system can change eventually. Right. But the problem with these five given things, which I, you know, they are very subjective. Mm. Everybody has that narrative. You know, they have their own truth. They all, you know, whatever. When I say about personal brand identity, it's, 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 it's yours. You know, that's your uniqueness. The way right. how you see positive relationship is very different. So this means that to live a good life or a flourishing life that is right for us personally, we need to be able to make informed choices about the option available to us. Aligning with our values and our unique constellation of personal preferences and strengths. Because um, 
And I'm going to bring Aristotle here because he is my man. <laughs> really, okay. I have right. to. Uh, because this aligns very well with how Aristotle philosophized about um, a happy or eudomenic life. He mm -hmm. said a good life results when an individual is able to take deliberate action aligned with their values and strengths and interests. And he argues that this requires um, they live in a society in which they have both the freedom to make these choices, mm -hmm. their basic needs met, um, and most important, uh, that accountability, because we live in a society where pointing finger, it's so easy now, right. you know, with kids and in a workplace, oh, I'm sorry, it's not my fault, it's never my fault, and I think it really is important, even with well-being, when we talk about well-being, whose responsibility is in, except yours, you know, right. that goes for everything, you know, we need to start being accountable for the world around us, for the environment, for everything, because everything is very interconnected. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I've watched experiments uh, of companies that are trying to push the boundaries of this. I had a client, it was a division of Volvo and uh, the, the CEO there was trying to implement a system where he would hire people based on their skill sets and the skill sets they broadly needed to succeed in that division. And then they, he would let them come to the company and then he would say, choose what you want to work on. And he would have like 20 different groups. And he said, if you don't see anything there, set something else up and go forward from there. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating. I'm curious how that's going to work. <laughs> because I don't know how that would work in my company if I just well figure it out. So it's 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 a it's a fascinating thing I think to see how people are are, are toying around with the boundaries here. But I think mm. that your pragmatic approach, where you're kind of saying like, listen, there needs to be a structure there, but but you know you need to be aware of the flexibility that you need within that structure, is a much more sound approach and. And it yeah. certainly uh, has helped me just in this conversation today. But over the last year, we've lived through quite a, a challenging moment. And I, I imagine that a lot of the areas that you touch upon have been impacted by the pandemic. And probably now uh, with people thinking about the post-pandemic phase. And just be curious to hear about uh, your professional experience, how Positive Ed has evolved during this last year and and what what kind of impact do you think this this moment is going to have well i'm going to start with the positive and that was the fact that um in a sense um it has put positive you know the pandemic has put positive ed on the map it has helped me tremendously because all of a sudden people you know people are reactive mm -hmm. something happens then you seek help mm -hmm. but you don't think that beforehand do you so I think the pandemic has brought uh, um, <laughs> some flaws in people, some flaws in economy, some flaws everywhere. And I think we start reassessing a little bit. So what was the greatest thing for me is the fact that people start thinking, okay, if I am well, if I know what my competency, if I build that first, then I think I'm gonna be okay. And uh, for me, you know, being able to empower people to say, okay, we can't change the, the, we can't change what is out there. We have absolutely zero control over what's happening. 
So why concentrate on something you can't, you can't change? Why don't I concentrate about you? Building your own self now. And, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with CEOs and all of a sudden they kind of think, right, I can have a different perspective. Well, I have not realized that for the last 10 years, I'm using the same lenses. Mm. I'm seeing everything from the same lens. So people's perspective has changed. So for me, it has helped a lot because um, I've been sought after from schools to, to corporation to provide training, to upskill, mm-hmm. uh, to upskill and um, um, uh, people and organization. But I always say, and we always work with people who actually are accountable, who don't take that because it looks good and it makes them look mm. good in the front of the employees. People who truly want transformation, not to you just bring somebody for half a day or a day training and then you don't see them till the next year or something like that. So people have to think that when you want to embed a psychological safety uh, net in your workplace, if you want to build flourishing and if you want to be success and performance, you need to enable people to upskill. And then you need to give them that vehicle to, to, which is a constant thing. And then you say, you know what is like a scaffolding effect. I'll build you up as a trainer or facilitator, I'll prop you up and then one by one, I'm gonna take them away from you. And then you're on your own. Yeah. You should be able to, that's what we do when we learn to ride the bike, don't we? You know, you get help, but then you have to ride on your own. The same when you ride, when you learn how to, uh, to, to walk. So why this is different, you know? And if we stop comparing ourselves, you know, as a business, as people, as kids with other people, the only person you should compare yourself with the future self in 10 years from here, you know, I think is very important. That's great. So I, 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 if I tweeze through that for a second, it does seem to me that the, the pandemic has been a bit of a catalyst then for organizations to open themselves up to these ideas. Now the challenge is going to be follow through commitment build this over time and really aim to try to hit those goal those broader goals i think um also for me what was a learning curve which was a dramatic learning curve is uh, flexibility in your thinking mm. and the way how you approach things. i was so sure that the only way i can do this is in person the only way i can do is through facilitating in person uh didn't have to do anything else and i realized that i had to think really quickly on my feet in order to adapt to a different environment. And it was stressful, uh, but at the end of the day, um, as I said, it's so important to be able to see things from different perspective, because when you do that, you have the ability to change and instead to be reactive. So you always kind of have to have that curio- innate curiosity about everything around you. If this happens, what I will do. It's not about being doom and gloom, it's about is not even about planning, it's about having a broader perspective about obstacles and challenges will always be there, some small, some high, but navigating these challenges and seeing, you know, I had to, in a way, to rewire my brain to see this pandemic as an opportunity, not as an obstacle. But then I had to work 10,000 times harder potentially than before, and I had to rethink everything to fit in with what is happening. And unfortunately everything moves so fast yeah so so tell me tell me a little bit about that that transition in your own thought which was um one where you were i perhaps i would say committed to the workshop model probably the in-person workshop model and then developing and opening yourself up to 
a virtual model and what what have been the strengths and weaknesses of the new new approach well i felt that doing something online um is going to water down the the relationship which i i create with um with people mm -hmm. because you know even looking at you now i'm still looking through a screen i can read your emotion but when you have 30 people on a screen you can't Right. But in a workshop, obviously, so psychology for me always is it's an incredible it's more than just a passion is understanding human behavior in a certain because you have 40 people in one room and they all react in a different way. They all feel differently. So it's so lovely to be able to see that even if it's dry and dreary, you know how to fix it because that's where your problem solving comes in. Um, mm -hmm. And it was quite scary going on online and um, I, I didn't find it very easy because uh, right. I'm not as young as, you know, my son, which just takes the phone and just start talking to it. You know, it, right. it took a lot for me to to be able to, you know, I speak in front of thousands of people and I, I'm absolutely happy to do that. Right. But in the front of a computer, I find it really strange. <laughs> and that was, you know, I had to create new neurosynapses, new habits, new uh, I don't know, a mindset to yeah. say, well, that's the only way you can do it. So that was a really bit of a struggle for me. But then I discovered that I didn't kind of understand how technology can help yeah. without, you know, because you can hear so many thoughts, bad and good. And I never dipped my feet in the water to see how, how, how that work. And I've been absolutely blown over how yeah. the, 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 you know, the, the things which you can do uh, mm -hmm. now online and, you know, even I can do a brain break. I can do, I can put people in their room. I can, <laughs> you know, I can still visit them. Um, but again, everything. And I think this is the most successful people through the pandemic have been the ones who had adapted and um, um, to the new ways and they thought, and they had, Curiosity. I think curiosity yeah. is the key to everything, really. And uh, that's my thing with the schools, you know, when I go to a school and they say, well, would you come to school? Because I have to, yeah. you know, they have no that innate kind of, oh, my God, I want to know about this and I want to know about that uh, because we kill it. Really, we kill it through the pressure which you put them yeah. through. And I'm sure your wife could tell you that. And, you know, it's frustrating for teachers because, again, one thing which I haven't spoken about is how teachers have coped through these oh. terrible times because it's, it's been, not easy. It's been challenged, very challenging. Um, and I take my hat yeah. in the front of any educator because, yeah. oh my God, the way how they had to evolve has been amazing. And again, we shouldn't forget about them and we should support the teachers the best way to flourish because if they are well, the mm -hmm. students are gonna be well. I hear you, Jilda. And if you have any good advice, uh, I'll, I'll share it. I'll share it at home as, as, as well. I, I, I love what you're saying about the use of technology. The, the pandemic presented a challenge for all of us where we couldn't meet physically anymore. And we suddenly gravitated to the only solutions that were available to us, which were, were technology solutions. And I think that it's taken some time for us to come back and find out what is useful, what is not useful, how things should go, how things shouldn't go. And it's been interesting for me because you hear about things like um, uh, Zoom fatigue, you know, people being tired on these discussions. But I would say that 
one of my personal experiences with the last year has been the deep connections that I've actually been able to have with people. Um, there's almost um, a level of that you get to faster. I, and I, I, I don't know how that's going to manifest itself in the longer term psychologically, but I, I have had conference, conference calls with potential clients and I, 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 I would get off the call and I would say, God, I feel like I've known her or him for <laughs> 10 years. Like, how is it that I just met them? You know, I think we're more open. Yeah. I think if anything, with the pandemic, we become, we, I think we start realizing that we need each other. Yeah. And, you know, people always think that they can work in isolation and they can be successful in isolation. It doesn't work. Yeah. And the more we share, the more we collaborate, the more we, we support each other, you know, is, is like a spider diagram almost, you know, it just evolves and is exponentially growing because ultimately we can't do, you know, like you're talking about mastery, you can't be good at everything. And this is why it's so important that you surround yourself with the right people Yes. and you, you support them and you, you, you give them the right um, um, environment to grow. Because right. if a person doesn't grow in a camp, doesn't grow in a company, then you've got a problem. You really do. And I think more and more people now start waking up to that. And I, I think it's really, you know, people before they were a bit scared, I'm losing my job. And even yeah. now in a context with the pandemic that people have lost their jobs. But right. I think people are a bit more braver to say, you know what, I'm going to try this. I mean, I spoke to a teacher the other day uh, who said, you know what, I got so exhausted and I realized that I'm burning myself and I, I just can't do it anymore. I'm almost, yeah. I'm, I've got two years to retire. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to resign. And I'm, I'm going to do an early retirement pattern and I'm going to have an allotment, right? I don't know if you know what an allotment is, but here's no. a piece of land where you grow vegetables. Oh, okay. Nice. Okay. And she said, you know, I'm the happiest because I can uh, do an early retirement. I work part-time a little bit and I can enjoy life. You right. know, it's more to life than chasing money. And, you know, because to be honest with you, when you achieve something you want to do, yeah. Don't you want more? Yeah. You move the goalpost over. And you know, that kind of, and we're never good at, um, you know, gratitude to what we have. We never actually see the fact that we've got good things. We always want to chase something else and more and more and more. And yeah. ultimately, to, to what end? You know, to what end if you're not happy? If you're not, and I don't use the word happiness as a, you know, as a, because I don't, really like the word happiness the way how it's sometimes put because you know happiness again is very subjective but it's about that life satisfaction you yeah. know having a meaningful and fulfilling life and in the same time not killing yourself over it yeah no i uh, it's very very good um good guidance and and it sounds like that uh friend or client of yours had a had a breakthrough uh to she figure had. out how they wanted to to move forward well, she's so, been on antidepressants for about a year. So that well, tells you something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as we, as we move now out of this pandemic era and we're moving into uh, perhaps a world where it opens up the ability to you, to, for you to conduct the workshops in person again, what are your thoughts for the, for the future? And, and what, are the, what are your hopes for Positive Ed? Oh, I'm an inherently optimistic person. I always, <laughs> I always think that there is always a pro, is, is always a solution to a problem. You know, nothing is that gloom and doom. 
uh, with hard work and intentions and being present and uh, having empathy, um, I think we could all, all, all do quite well. For positive ed, I really, really want to, for me, it's about impact. Mm -hmm. That's, oh, you know, if you were to ask me, what's the, the greatest thing about positive ed is looking at these kids' faces when I talk to them or to the schools or to the CEOs who I've done some coaching and they look like, I don't know that person. Like about six months ago, I don't know who that person is anymore because mm -hmm. I seem to have so much more control of the person I am. I know where I'm going. I know my aspiration. So creating change always has been for me uh, beyond any financial uh, acumen. It's right. by, by far one of the, the, the most important thing. And I wish I would have enough, enough money to say, you know what, that doesn't really matter. Um, but in, again, when sometimes uh, one thing which I've noticed when you offer something for free, which is quite, I'll be really interested to see your point on this one. People devalue your work. You know, mm. it just kind of feel like, oh, you know, there's so many thousands of webinars have been done for free or during the pandemic for personal. Everybody's become an expert of a kind somewhere. Everybody was thirsty to learn something about themselves yeah. or, or about something. And then when now we're coming out of the pandemic and people need to make a living and, to you know, to, to say, look, I've done this because I wanted to connect with all of you. I wanted to support you. And um, now it's becoming harder to kind of, you know catch that momentum where you say you know what there is something out there which needs to you know there are lots of people working towards this yeah but for positive ed, i mean i feel that schools have started opening more in terms of seeing beyond the curriculum right uh, organization have realized now the importance of well-being and flourishing in a workplace and the psychological safety um and um you know as long as we I carry on uh, making sure that I don't become a factory. I'm always very mindful that I I rather not grow tremendously, but I right. want to to still be in touch. I want to people to to still see that change and to be part of that journey with them. Um, of course, we all want to be successful, no, yeah. no doubt, and I I do. But it's more about the impact and. Um, you know, looking at Harvard Flourishing Center, the amazing work they do around the world um, on looking at evaluating ways of, you know, of not happiness, but flourishing. And mm -hmm. what can we do to sustain, you know, to help people to, to reach that? It's, right. it's pretty amazing. So, you know, we've got some amazing leaders, are the, you know, out there who actually do a tremendous work and yeah. support companies like myself um, to to kind of implement things, evaluate things, and create that change, which is necessary. Well, listening to you today, Jilda, I can only imagine the impact that you're having uh, with all of, all of the companies that you're working with. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on really everything related to education and retraining and reskilling today during the pandemic going forward. We've been speaking with Jilda Scarf, or should I say Dr. Jilda Scarf, uh, who is the CEO <laughs> and founder of Positive Ed. Positive Ed is a leading global education consultancy and people development training company founded in 2014. Uh, Jilda has been talking to us about her amazing life for her, from, from Romania on to law, teaching, and then now as a entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur of her own company. 
we've been talking about the challenges that companies and organizations and schools have in facing change and implementing change and allowing people the flexibility to change and, and learn. And uh, Jill has been giving us some really good counsel today of some of the things to keep in mind. If people want to reach you, Jilda, where should they go to find you? www.positive-ed.co.uk. Great. Well, Jilda, thank you so much for being on Uncaged today. Oh, I thank look you forward, for having me. Absolutely. We look forward to having you on again. Cheers. An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.